time now to look to the Word of God and see what God has for us in His Word today. Never take your Bible for granted. It is the only book whereby we are guaranteed 100% truth every time we read it. What you read in the Scriptures, right. Sometimes what men say is wrong. But God is always right. I want you to pray for me this morning as I endeavor. And I hope to be used of the Lord in this message. I want us to again go to the Lord in prayer at this time. Our Father and our God, we thank you so much today for the Lord Jesus Christ, your blessed Son, whom you sent from heaven to make atonement for our sins. And everything he did on the cross of Calvary, he did it for his people. And, oh God, we thank you that he did it for me. And we can all assume that personal touch of God's grace. That he just didn't die for everybody. He died for somebody. And he made an effective atonement real for those who've come to know the Lord as Savior. Father, bless this time of Bible study. I pray that you might open our hearts and make us willing, Lord, to listen to thy word. For we ask it in Christ's name, and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen. Please turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter number 1. The Gospel of John. Chapter number 1, and I want to read for your hearing and for your reading and following along in your Bibles, verses 14 through 18. John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. I want us to focus in on that 14th verse. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And I want to arrest that phrase from that verse for our title, Christ, full of grace and truth. Christ, full of grace and truth. In that text, in verse number 14, there are four evidences that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. 
Notice his incarnation speaks of that. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Second of all, his glory speaks to the evidence of that. We beheld his glory, the glory of the Father. And number three, he was full of grace. I've never known anybody who was full of grace. Now, I've met some folk. We hope and pray that we will be full of grace. We have a little taste of it down here on this earth. But he was full of grace, and fourthly, he was full of truth. Full of it. Could not lie. Could not misappropriate truth. Always told the truth. And if you want to splash over into verse 15, he gives you a fifth evidence. John the Baptist also gave evidence that he was the Christ. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Everything spoken of creatively in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, is done by no other than the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. That is a capital W. Not just any kind of Word. He was the Word incarnate. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There is no God apart from the Word, the incarnate Word. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. John is careful to tell us that this created universe was not made by Mother Nature, but it was made by the Lord Himself in verses 1 and 3. Note the Word of God, and all things were made by Him. Our text tells us that this Word, which is God, became flesh, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld him who is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus Christ is Almighty God, God incarnate. Now, our Lord is described as being full of grace and full of truth. That word is very important, full and fullness. You'll find it there in verses 14 and 16. Full and fullness. It's mentioned twice. What does it mean when it says that he, Christ, was full? He was full. It is the little Greek word, pleres. P-L-E-R-E-S. Now let me give you some ways it is used to clarify its meaning. Number one. Sometimes it means to be filled materially. In Matthew chapter 14, verse number 20, speaking of the feeding of the 5,000, 
And by the way, can you imagine what that must have been like? I've seen the time when our kids were small and it seemed like we was feeding 5,000 at the table. Now 5,000 is a lot of people. And all of them were hungry. And the Lord Jesus fed all 5,000. But in that context it says they did all eat. Now some of them didn't have the virus. And some of them were a little queasy. And some of them didn't like what was served. They all began to eat and were filled. Filled. And they took up the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. Why didn't they not eat the fragments? (laughs) Because they didn't have any room. They were full, already full, and they couldn't eat anymore. They were full. It's a very important word, full, filled. It also means being filled spiritually, not just materially, but spiritually. In Acts chapter number 6, verse number 3. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. They were the first deacons ever to serve in the local church. And the qualifications was not, let's pick out some men who have a lot of money and they can give to our church and we'll build a church finally. No, no, we're looking for some men that are full of the, don't take that word lightly, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. They had no room for flesh. They had no room for self. Thirdly, sometimes it means being filled with good works. In Acts chapter number 9, verse number 36, Simon Peter talks about some visit that he had at Joppa. And he said, there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. I've known some pastors to have Sunday school classes and sometimes those classes were, if they were ladies' classes, they were called the class of Dorcas. This woman was full of good works. Full of good works. And almsgiving, which she did. Dorcas had no room for bad works. She is full. And fourthly, being filled means completely and covered over. It's not an exaggeration. It's not just pushing a point too far. It means completely full and completely filled and covered over. The Lord Jesus, when he spoke about the blade and the parable of the sower and the seed in Mark four twenty-eight, he said this, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Now, he didn't have to say full corn, but he did say that when they tore the shucks off of those corn uh, vegetables, they found that it was full of corn. I've noticed corn's my favorite vegetable. I'll just throw that in the next time we have a dinner at the church. 
I do like corn flavored with chocolate pie. I, I can do that. Open up an ear of corn and all you'll find is corn and nothing else. Have you ever noticed when you open up or shuck an ear of corn, you don't find any peas in it and you don't find any carrots in it and you don't find any okra in it. Why is that so? Because it's full of corn. How many people do you know that are full of grace. Full of grace. Colossians 2, verse number 9, speaks of this fullness. Speaking of Christ, in Him, Christ, dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God became flesh. And in that flesh was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. The Godhead took up a bold completely in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the man, was full of God and had no room for anything else. As I said, don't take that word lightly. He was filled. He was full. How was He full? Number one, He was full of grace. That's what the text says. We beheld His glory, the only glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now Moses was full of the law. And Moses knew the law. And Moses wrote and gave us the law in the first five books of the Bible. The Pentateuch or the Decalogue. Call it whatever you want to, the Ten Commandments. Moses was full of the law. He wrote it for us, but Jesus Christ was full of grace. Can you fathom that? Moses was full of the law. Christ was full of grace. What is this grace of which our Lord was full? What is this grace of which our Lord was full. There have been some preachers to define grace. And what they had to say was good, but it didn't go quite far enough. I have heard since I was a child in Sunday school that grace was God's riches at Christ's expense. You can build an acrostic with that. God's riches at Christ's expense. That spells grace. And that's true. But it doesn't go far enough. I've also heard this definition. Grace is the unmerited favor of God toward sinners. And that's a true statement. But it just doesn't go far enough. There was a man by the name of Alexander McLaren who pastored the church in Manchester, England for 50 years. And he wrote an awful lot. On commentaries of the New Testament, there are 17 volumes. And I've got all 17 volumes in my study back at the back. And I've read McLaren. 
And he always had something to say. Mr. McLaren made this. By the way, when McLaren pastored over in England, the United States heard about him and said, we need a man of that persuasion to come and speak in our country and preach in our churches. And they gave him an invitation to come across the waters and to preach here in America. And he turned them down. And he gave us his reason something like this. God put me in this church for now under 50 years to feed his flock. And I just stay so busy feeding my flock, I don't have time to go anywhere else. But Mr. McLaren defined grace. Would you like to hear his definition? Grace means the unconditional, undeserved, spontaneous, eternal, stooping, pardoning love of God. Grace. Mr. Phillips, he almost didn't know where to stop. Mr. Phillips said, Grace is something in God which is at the heart of all of his redeeming activities. It is the... I love this church. I love this. Listen. It is the downward stoop and reach of God. Many times in our home, Nora and I, I don't know whether she drops a crumb on the floor or whether I drop it on the floor. But I've made it my business to pick it up. Now for me to pick it up 50 years ago had no problem. But I have to do it carefully and slowly now and I have to stoop down where it is. Do you understand? In grace, God Almighty who needs nobody or anything stooped all the way from heaven to this earth to save sinners. Folk, that's grace. Grace is something in God which is at the heart of all of His redeeming activities. It's the downward stoop. It's the reach of God bending from the heights of His majesty to touch and grasp our insignificance and poverty. It is a perfect and holy God bestowing salvation on a wicked and hell-deserving sinner. That's grace. And Jesus Christ was full of it. Our Lord did not come to tell us about grace. He came to bring it to us. Did you notice there in the 17th verse where it says, Pardon me, I've, I've turned over to, to Luke. Let me go back here to John where I was. In the 17th verse, For the law was given by Moses. Moses became the divine vehicle to bring law from heaven down to earth. God chose him at the administration of angels to be the vehicle by which the law would be transported from up there down here. And if people wanted to know the law, my dear friends, they could not go up into the mountain. If they even touched the mountain, God would smite them dead. 
But God appointed Moses to take that which man could never reach on his own and bring it down to where the people were. Jesus Christ brought grace with him when he came into this world. He brought it down. Why did he bring it down? Because you could not go get it. You say, well, I just, I, I kind of, I'm a Romans Road Baptist. God have mercy on you. What am I saying? I'm saying this, my dear friends. If the Lord didn't bring grace and put it in your heart, you wouldn't have it there today. It's not by anything you've ever done or any achievement or any effort on your part, my dear friends. It's because God had mercy on you and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who was full of grace. And he came with that in mind. That's why he came. He didn't come to tell us about grace. He came to bring it to us. And our Lord came down to bring it. That's the purpose of the incarnation. Just remember that. That the next time December the 25th rolls around, which never has been the birth of the Lord Jesus, but it's the one that we get designated with. Just remember this, that Jesus Christ did not come just to be displayed. He came to bring grace to the hearts of his people. He did that. We have some evidences of Christ being full of grace. Full of grace. May I suggest to you that grace came out of the eyes of Christ. When God's people looked into the face of Christ, they looked into his eyes and they saw nothing but grace. God's grace. Have you ever wondered in Genesis chapter 6 verse 8, way back over there in the Old Testament, it says Noah found grace. Where did he find it? In the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord Jesus looked out over Jerusalem while the city slept. The Lord Jesus looked out over Jerusalem and cried out, O Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you as a hen doth her brood, but you would not. While the word and the world slept, the eyes of the Lord Jesus was faced and focused on Jerusalem. Grace came out of the eyes of Christ. Do you recall that when our Lord was being tried before going to Calvary, that Simon Peter was warming his hands by the fire of the devil. And a little maid came up and she said, Oh, I know who you are. Yeah, I've seen you with this, this Nazarene. And Peter lied. And Peter was a rotten liar. He really was. That's the he had to lie three times. He, he, couldn't, he, couldn't, uh, he couldn't perfect it. But three times he said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And when our Lord was released by Pilate to go to a different location, Christ passed by and looked at Simon. Now you've got to have eyes if you're going to look. And he looked at Simon, and I believe with all of my heart that Simon's eyes met the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Simon did something that very few people would ever see him do because he was a big, tough guy. Matter of fact, he cursed. He knew how to curse. 
But when the eyes of Jesus focused on him, he went out and wept bitterly. What broke his heart? Grace. Grace. This man I just said, I don't know. He just looked at me with love and grace and mercy. Eyes came out of the... Grace came out of the eyes of Christ. Listen, let's proceed. Grace came out of the feet of Christ. It came out of the feet of Christ. This harlot in Simon who came by his house to have a lunch as Christ was there. The harlot came in to, under, to, to Simon and, and the Pharisee and, and he noticed and Christ noticed she was weeping. And what did she do? She began kissing his feet. What was she kissing? She was kissing grace. Kissing grace. It was the feet of our Lord that took him from Jerusalem up to Jacob's well to save the woman of Samaria. John 4 puts it this way. He must needs go through Samaria. Why would he allow his feet to take him to Samaria? It wasn't the best way to travel. But one of his own was there that needed his grace. His feet were filled with grace. His mouth was filled with grace. In Luke 4.22, all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. I didn't see this till this morning, but I don't think I'll ever forget it. He went to Nazareth to visit the synagogue. And when he got into the synagogue, he was given the privilege of standing and reading the Old Testament Scripture, which was the custom. And when the Lord Jesus began to speak from the Old Testament, it says they bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words. Do you know what gracious words are? They're words of grace. They wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Did you know, following that verse in Luke 4, it tells you that they sought to kill him. Wait a minute. I thought they wondered at the gracious words. They wondered at the words of grace. Times have not changed. People don't like grace today. People don't like all of God and none of me. And I don't have the time to do it, but you need to read the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke and you'll find out what the Lord said when he preached and gave words of grace to them. He talked about Elijah going to one person who was a Gentile and Gentiles were considered his dogs and yet God had mercy on that lady and he talks about Elisha and his encounter with Naaman and Naaman was a filthy leper he's the only one that God saved there they were gracious words and it burned the congregation up 
What does he mean coming in our congregation and talking about Gentiles? I tell you what, that's why he came, to seek and to save that which was lost. Gracious words proceeded out of his mouth. Grace came out of the ears of Christ. Remember the leper came to Christ and said, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me whole. Christ heard every word he said. And Jesus, upon hearing that, said, I will be thou made whole. He was full of grace. Grace came out of the heart of Christ. When he prayed in Gethsemane, he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. It was full of his heart. Now, my heart's not full of grace. I wish that it were. Bible tells me that my heart, I'm desperately wicked because of the evil things that I think and do from time to time. They originate in my heart. I've got heart problems, but thank God in salvation, God takes the old heart out, puts the new heart in. But at no time did Jesus Christ ever do wrong. He always did right. Came out of the heart of Christ. And then Calvary, that is the cross, displayed this grace. His hands were pierced. His feet were pierced. His side was pierced. His back was shredded. His brow was pierced. More than blood came out of his body because he was full of grace. And when he died, grace came out. That's why the centurion said truly, this man was the son of God. He, <laughs> he experienced grace coming forth. Even our Lord before he died said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even the thief begged to be remembered and responded to by the Lord, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Can you not see he's full of grace? He's full of grace. But not only is he full of grace, Christ is full of truth. Truth, full of truth. What is this truth of which our Lord was full? Aletheia. Aletheia is a Greek word. It means untarnished, uncompromising, unpolluted, unchanging truth. Now, we don't have much truth today if you're getting it from television. I mean, really and truly, folk. I've, I've, I've never heard so many variations of truth. And, uh, and somebody said, well, truth is how you perceive it. No, my dear friend, that I'm thinking, well, you're perceiving it. Truth is truth. And it's absolute, it's always absolute. And either we measure up to the truth or we miss it by a million miles. Christ was full of truth. Take a moment, if you would, please. We're in John. Go over to the 18th chapter, beginning with verse 33. The 18th chapter of John, beginning with verse number 33. Then Pilate entered the judgment hall again and called Jesus... And said unto him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? 
Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. Why have you the, why, what have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. And now, but now, is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness of the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate, dumb dodo Pilate, said, what is truth? He was standing right before truth personified and he couldn't even recognize truth. You know, there are some people today that are being misled. I believe this. To do some of the awful things, the shootings, the killings, the thievery, the rapes, all of the mess that's going on in some major cities in our world today, and by the grace of God, hopefully it doesn't affect Tyler, Texas. It could. And you wonder, why are these people deceived? They're deceived because they don't know the truth. And they believe that this person who's speaking, oh, and he tell, he, he, this is what he says we need to do, and they listen to somebody else, oh, this is what we need to do. You've got to stand before the man who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is Christ Jesus. He's full of it. He's full of it. Truth was standing before Pilate. He didn't even recognize it. When our Lord spake, only truth came out. He said in John fourteen two, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. If it were not so, I would have told you. Don't pass that by. That's so important. If it were not so... You see, if what Christ was saying could never have happened, it would have happened. He would have corrected it. Christ not only spake the truth, but that's all he could speak. That's all he could speak is truth. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Our truth... Our Lord is truth personified. As I said, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Every promise that our Lord ever made has already been fulfilled, or it will be fulfilled. He cannot lie. Cannot lie. Now let me close by pointing this out. What did He say? We certainly don't have all that kind of time. He said a lot of things. What did he say in John chapter 8 verse 24? You're there in John. It won't hurt to just flip over two or three pages. To John 8 verse 24. 
I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am he, you shall die in your sins. So what did he mean by that? He meant exactly what he said by it. That salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if a person isn't willing to receive Christ as his Lord and Savior, that man will die in his sins. In that same... Let's go to chapter 6 at verse 35. Chapter 6, verse 35. John six thirty-five. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. Now listen, church. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. He says, he that cometh to me. Have you ever come to him? Has there ever been a time in your life when you realized you were a sinner and you believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and you believed and knew that he died on the cross to save sin? Have you ever come to him and said, Lord... Save me. Make it real to me. We have to come to him. We have to come to him. Look at verse number 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I'll in no wise cast out. I don't read of anyone ever coming to the Lord for mercy and for grace and the Lord giving them a stiff arm, said, no, sir, I don't want you to come. No, he never does turn away sinners who come to him sincerely seeking salvation. Look at verse number 39. This is the Father's will which he hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Hallelujah, isn't that great? But should raise it up again the last day. He never lost the one that was given to him of the Father. And verse number 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Well, when are we going to have that everlasting life? When you believe on him. It begins the moment you trust Christ. H-A-T-H is in the present tense. He that believes on me has everlasting life. If you've been saved with the grace of God, you have already entered into everlasting life. That's what he said. And he's full of grace. And he's full of truth. In conclusion, how can one come to know the Lord Jesus who is full of grace and truth? Well, I can just read you three particular outstanding statements and the reference that I use to support that statement. We're justified only by His grace. By His grace. Titus 3, 7. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Number two, we must come to the throne of grace In Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. And finally, number three, he only gives grace to the humble. 
In James chapter 4, verse 6, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. I have no other message in in evangelism but Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. Never has been many different ways for people to be saved. Some folks look over in the Old Testament and they say, well, I believe you can be saved by looking over in the Old Testament. No, no. You don't look over in the Old Testament to get to the New Testament. Salvation is not being saved by the law. Never has been, never will be. Salvation is saved by the grace and truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's the only message we have. And yet people still wonder at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Will you come to him today on his terms? Not yours, but on his terms. If we confess him before men, he will confess us before the Father which is in heaven. If we deny him before men, he will deny us before the Father which is in heaven. Shall we stand, please?